0: Welcome to episode 165 of our SAP on Azure video podcast. Today is October 26th and together with Robert and Goran, we're here to talk about anything related to SAP and Microsoft. Hello, everyone. So STAF or the SAP Deployment Automation Framework started as a nice tool to simplify the deployment of an SAP system in a consistent and repeatable way. In the meantime, SDAF has grown into a huge project, is leveraged by the Azure Center for SAP Solution, and actually also by a lot of customers and partners. A lot of colleagues are actively contributing to the project on GitHub, and I'm happy to have Kimo and Hemant with us, two of the main contributors. Before we hand over to them, and they can talk us, um, or show us a little more in detail what SDAF is and what's new with SDAF, let's take a look at the news um, from this week. And, yeah, let's start, um, Goran, with our HANA large, Azure large instances.
1: Yeah, so um, always, as always, starting from bottom up, <laughs> um, very important uh, topic. I, I'm not sure if we, I think we didn't mention in the in the past, a sub-HANA large instances, the bare metal boxes available uh, in Azure will be retired. Uh, by the um, uh, end of June, twenty twenty-five, meaning all the customer ha- has to migrate to virtual machines. So that's a very important news, and also important for the for the planning. I mean, there is uh, let's say how much one and a half year. There is enough time, but still, it it is important to 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 migrate. It's doable, uh, and. Uh, actually there are many benefits on the virtual machines and we don't even, and from the size, they are extremely huge, the virtual machine, meaning there is no need actually even to have it uh, the bare metal box, but definitely the VMs are much more flexible and offer much more flexibility than the bare metal box, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I mean, just to look back, I mean, when we introduced the large instances, there, there was just no way to have these huge virtual machines. Press. But in the meantime, the virtual machines are as large as the HANA large instances. So so that's why there is no need for them anymore. There is
1: no need. Yeah, exactly. Um, The next one, very interesting uh, from a Dennis Padia. We were talking about the virtual machine uh, uh, scale set in the past. He was presenting this as an availability option. And in this blog, basically, he's officially talking about how to use VMSS Flex and Azure uh, NetApp files, so mm-hmm. typically you would use for the HANA. Um, the long story, make it short, it's basically he's showing the way how uh, you can um, use, I mean, with the um, uh, uh, how you can use application volume groups for the HANA. Uh, and deploy them uh, using the zonal anchor VM, which is just Mm -hmm. temporarily there on one hand, meaning you also don't need in this context any kind of pinning of the NF. On the other hand, um, uh, the virtual machines, the the zonal virtual machine, which are part of the uh, VMSS Flex, also do not need any kind of pinning, you know. So he's just this, which is a great stuff, especially for me and Hemant, because we are doing time to time the pinning process. <laughs> and this is a great news. Uh, and customer will have much more flexibility because the meaning expectation here is uh, that uh, inter-zone latency is definitely good enough for the HANA, yeah. meaning sub-milliseconds. Yeah, and no pinning, meaning no pinning, meaning... Uh, much more troubles in deployment. A lot, much more flexibility in resizing or, or updates or whatever, you know, because VMs could move here and there. Yeah. Mm. So he described the process how to do it, um, and if customer would use the VMSS Flex and the ENF, um, this is the way how to do it. Officially Perfect. supported. Yeah. Cool. I think the yeah, the next one is from the Robert, also.
2: Yeah, okay, this is uh, uh, interesting, I think uh, <clears throat> we have, a, uh, I think it's uh, already known that we have these reserve instances for virtual machines. So if customers decide to run virtual machines 24-7, for example, then they can decide, okay, to to somehow commit to one year or three year. And of course, uh, we have today, till end of this year, that was the plan announced uh, this year, that we will have this option, this exchange policy option, flexible till end of this year, Uh, this exchange policy flexibility means that I can, for example, switch uh, reserve instances uh, uh, contract from E-series to M-series or have a bigger M-series. And so so this called flexibility inside the exchange policy. So we previously announced that we will have this support till end of this year. So from 1st January next year, we will not have that anymore. Mm -hmm. And now we'd postpone that date to 1st of July. So that means till 1st of July customer can still use this old exchange policy, which means changing from one measure, uh, machine type to another machine type or go scale up, scale down. But again, till July 1st. Why we did that? Because now we have a third option already more than one year, savings plans. So savings plans is much more flexible than reserve instances. So with customer needs something like dynamic environment, I don't need something 24 seven, or I am not sure what I will uh, uh, use in next following months or following years, then savings plan is be- better f- fitted than reserve instances. So this is the reason why we are somehow canceling this this flexibility in, in that uh, reserve instances exchange policy. But it's very important that we now extend that to till July 1st yep. next year perfect cool great thanks
0: for, for for these updates um so so now that we have the infrastructure covered let's go up the stack and um the the first thing that i quickly want to highlight is a nice video the abab story it is in german um but actually it, it provides a nice Look back on um, how ABAP came to life and why ABAP is, is so cool. You can see there there are some cool screenshots there. It's it's a five minute video. It's um, it has um, some interviews with some very well known colleagues from SAP. So if you, if you have five minutes, just take a quick look. It's 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 really nice to to see and to be reminded of of the history of ABAP. So it's a, it's a nice uh, video. And so this basically. Talking about the past, and I mean also some some things in in, in the present. But if we um, move up to to the very recent um, present, um, Mona Lisa Biswell, she um, she she was also um, already. We didn't have her on the show, did we? But but we we had uh, colleagues of her, and and we talked about her because she had released an um, a, a plugin for SAP GUI. Um, that uses Azure OpenAI to help you with code completion. So so basically, a GitHub co-pilot for ABAP, and and she had shown this us in in the SAP GUI, and and now it's also here in Eclipse, and and she's done a a really nice job there. So everything is documented on GitHub, so you can really go into GitHub and download all the required files. And then you you have here um, this Generate Code um, plugin in in Eclipse. She has some nice videos that show you how to get started and how this looks like. So if you are using Eclipse, if you want to um, test how um, Azure OpenAI can help you in developing um, ABAP, then uh, check out her blog post. It was just released. Um, I think there's already a lot of excitement about this. Um, Everything is in in GitHub. uh, So if you can, you can also contribute there. Another thing that just happened um yesterday um the um uh, Charles Lamanna and the um, uh, yeah it says here Dynamics but it's also the Power Platform um team they have these I think um, twice a year they have the um, business application launch event where where they talk about new functionalities and stuff like that and um, just yesterday they they talked about the new enhancements in in Dynamics but but honestly for me it's much more interesting to look at the uh, Power Platform things. And there are, I mean, AI is everywhere. That's one key thing. But but the cool thing is, it's not only AI. There are a lot of other um, new functionalities that are introduced in the Power Platform, so Power Apps, Power Automate, Power Virtual Agents, Power BI. Um, we we, we will spend, I think, um, at some other point, uh, a little more time on this because there are some really really cool things um, already announced, and actually Ignite is coming um, up and. I, I've already seen a few other things that will be uh, showcased there. So uh, th- this will be also really, really fantastic. The last thing that I quickly want to mention, um, Michael Mergel was on the show before. He he talked about um, his uh, Teams integration and how from Teams you can actually um, manage certain SAP tasks like unlocking a user or... Uh, um, um checking a job status and, and, and stuff like that and now he has created here um this, this GitHub repo where he outlines all the steps um to get this working so so how can you get started with power um uh, power automate how w- what are the things that you need to configure to integrate this I- into into teams so it's a really um nice documentation on um on on how to get sap management basis tasks potentially um in in a chatbot in teams good and with this um we're done with the with the news from um this week and we, we can um, hand over to to our main guests um before we go into the topic um Kimo Hemant, can you quickly introduce yourself um what do you do at microsoft and yeah just talk a little about yourself
3: sure yeah so my name is Kimo Fors. i'm based in helsinki finland what I do at Microsoft, so currently I'm the, uh, the development lead for the SAP Deployment Automation Framework. So that means writing code, helping customers, doing documentation,
4: all of the fun stuff. Cool, thank you. Hi, I'm Heyman. I'm part of the customer solutions and incubation team. Um, the QA on the SDAF and also write code help customers deploy uh, their landscapes using SDAF. And also have the charter of the innovation and incubation on the customer solutions and incubation team perfect good and, so
1: haven't you forget the most important part your colleague
0: of mine you know
4: yes yes
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's,
4: that's the most important thing yes
0: perfect so so we, we already had a session about s stuff in the past um but maybe it's good um to start with a with an overview um, to, to just quickly recap and um, yeah, basically give an introduction on, on what um, SDAV actually is. Yeah,
4: that sounds like a really good plan. And um, uh, I hope you can see my yes. screen. Yeah. So we have like a... Quick overview of SDAF for uh, some of our viewers who are tuning in for the first time and um, or have missed the previous episode uh, where we talked about the SAP Deployment Automation Framework or SDAF. Um, We quickly do an overview on architecture uh, and then we'll jump into the demos uh, and talk about the new features and functionalities that have been released over the last few releases since since the last time the team was here on, on this. So the just in a nutshell, if you actually uh, look at the slides, um, the SAP Deployment Automation Framework is an open source orchestration tool used to deploy, install, and configure SAP environments on Azure. Um, it enables the creation of infrastructure for SAP landscapes based on uh, SAP HANA and NetWeaver with NEDB. Utilizing Terraform for the infrastructure deployment and Ansible for operating system and application configuration. The framework supports deployment of uh, pretty much any supported SAP operating system versions uh, into any Azure region uh, where the service is required for running SAP workloads are available. Um, some of the benefits, I mean it's quickly. Touching upon the benefits of using an automation solution, all of us uh, kind of get get it is that the you get with SAP you get like reviewable code via ISE and the configuration as control. You have a streamlined deployment process and flexible SAP architecture deployment. We'll talk a bit more about uh, how the architecture looks in the coming slides, but before that, quickly wanna talk about the ACSS, the Azure Center for SAP Solutions, which uses um, as staff for the install experience, the create experience and it has. It actually is the umbrella for bringing in a visibility of your SAP workload on Azure into one pane of uh, glass view that you can create for yourself which is available in the form of various tools and frameworks. which are bundled along with the core product and services uh, that are there. Um, switching back to the open-source side of the world, um, if you look at SDAF, there are two main components in that, uh, right? One is deployment infrastructure um, and the SAP infrastructure as co- uh, as core components. So the deployment, like I said before, utilizes Terraform templates to create an infrastructure as a service Uh, based deployments to host your SAP application. So you're creating the infrastructure that is required uh, for running your SAP application on Azure. Now, the two core components in this is the control plane, which is uh, the core uh, as you uh, maybe it's easier if I. use the pointer, the control plane, right, um, which is um, it's, it's used to deploy both the SAP infrastructure and configure the SAP application on, on, your, on the deployed infrastructure. The Terraform templates are used to create the infrastructure, um, like I said, and the orchestration engine that sits in here, which is primarily based on Ansible, uh, then configures uh, your application. The second part of it, also the control plane houses the deployment infrastructure uh, from which other environments are deployed, like your workload zones, right? Um, Which, and it provides various services like your deployment agents uh, for running your Terraform deployments and Ansible configuration persistent storage for your Terraform state files, which are required for you to actually come back and review if there is a drift in the infrastructure and uh, a persistent store for your SAP uh, software that you download and an Azure Key Vault to securely store your deployment credentials and the configurations for your uh, web application. Now, the process involves the use of the the control plane vm to run orchestration scripts including uh, deploying the azure resources via terraform they also serve as the ansible controller so you can have like more than one control plane vm or one more than one deployer that is actually configuring your or managing your infrastructure now the second part of it is The workload zone. And one of the key things about the workload zone is while we talk here about partitioning the workloads, an easy way to understand what a workload zone is is kind of thinking it like acting as a swim lane for your workloads, right? Creating a demarcation between each of your environments where uh, you have your dev, test, QA, and prod. All of these can go to different workload zones, thereby achieving the segregation of network traffic or isolation for your uh, deployments that is needed uh, by your policies and. It it does contain shared Azure infrastructure which is required for the SAP deployments and the final part in this is the SAP systems themselves, which we track using the SID. Um, So let's say you're deploying a SID called R86, uh, you would have you know application servers ses vms your web dispatchers and database servers that are there and that actually describes the deployment from an infrastructure perspective the control plane also has the ans- also access the ansible controller so it actually runs the playbooks that are required to configure your sap system so in in a nutshell it's, it's a packaged way of deploying and configuring your sap workloads to run on azure We do try to bring in the latest developments and enhancements that come in and that are released as part of a documentation into the framework as early as possible. Um, And We do have some of those, Kimo is going to talk about uh, during the demo, uh, and what are the new features that we have in SDAF. Uh, But essentially, uh, to sum it up, it's it's an open-source package solution which you can use to deploy and configure uh, your SAP applications on Azure.
0: And I think what he just said, it is open source, so so all the code is on GitHub. So if I'm a partner, if I'm a customer, um, I can take it. First of all, I can s- exactly see what is happening. So if I want, um, I-, I can really take a look at um, how you do it, um, what's being deployed, and so on. But then I can also just take it if I'm saying this is great, but I want to do X, Y, Z on top or I want to change some things, then I can just fork um, the repo and then I can
4: do my own things and and adjust it as I like. Yes. One of the things that um, helps us with some of the customers uh, who really want that kind of customization is that they usually fork the repo to their own internal projects and customize it to their own needs. We have a few customers in Australia who built their own um, Bombs to deploy we talk we will talk about bombs in, in mm-hmm. the later slides uh, which is essentially an application manifest right so they, they've built their own custom bombs to extend the solution to deploy other sap products um, right which which they needed on or they needed to deploy on their landscape and there are customers who do things like hey we don't want to to go with the standard deployment process like we don't want a deployer to be a vm but we rather want it to be running in a container okay uh, the, yeah the solution the uh, uh, the solution is extensible uh, we will talk like that's a good segue into the next slide where we started off uh, with the foundational building blocks where you had this terraform, ansible and you know custom images, et etc, that are available as discrete building blocks. so the the framework itself is modular in that each part or each component can be extended individually. You don't have to um, let's say, you know deploy the um, deploy your infrastructure using the framework. We do have a lot of customers. Who, who, who bring in the infrastructure and then configure it using STF, right? Um, ACSS is a good example. They don't use Terraform. Um, to my knowledge, to deploy the infrastructure. However, they configure that infrastructure using Ansible. It's similar to what some of our customers do. If they're more familiar with the different infrastructure deployment technology um, or a different IAC uh, uh, tool that they want to use, they can bring that in. The nice. orchestration layer that we have right now is Azure DevOps. We do have customers who don't use Azure DevOps. They orchestrated using different uh, tooling, uh, mm-hmm. it supports that as well. So the evolution of SDAF actually shows that you know we have achieved a level of execution maturity where the user experience, so to a point where we can focus on the user experience um, rather than worrying about if the uh, the orchestration layer or the foundational building blocks are set properly. It's kind of like what Will says, right? Like um, you know protect the trunk and then you know the leaves grow themselves it's kind of like you branch out into different use cases and different scenarios if the foundation is solid that's what we have with stef is that the foundational building blocks we have are solid. Um, we do keep improving them, adding new functionality, uh, finding bugs and trying to fix them and all of that, which is BAU, business as usual. Uh, but at, at at this point, we are at a level where we can focus on improving the user experience by providing them more and more uh, ways to easily configure and deploy uh, the infrastructure.
1: And Hemant, uh, as far as I know, um... As you mentioned, okay, so different operating system, different databases, different SAP versions, and different SAP deployments model, meaning from central system on one VM distributed up to high availability across the zones, meaning those stuff could be used from dev tests, which generally do not require the HA from a customer size up to the prod system, which that do require an HA typically,
3: right? Yes, correct. Yeah, and one thing that I wanted to add in the open sourceness is that we also have customers who've taken the code base and extended that and then provide pull requests to actually give that IP back to us, which is actually how uh, open source should work because that actually it's great for us because we get new capabilities. It's also great for the customer because they don't have the their TCO for their solution goes down because they essentially they build it, but then they hand it over for us for maintenance. So it's it's actually working really well in that sense as well. Yeah, actually yeah. I when I checked the GitHub repo yesterday. Um, I
0: remember the, the first time we talked, I think Kimo, you were basically the only contributor. Um, maybe there were two <laughs> yeah. others or something like that, but you were the main one. And now I saw that there are like 20 people, more than 20 people that have already contributed. Yeah. And so so I, it's it's clear that there's a lot of momentum yes. also from others with this.
3: Yeah. And uh, you mentioned extensibility. So one of our goals is to try to build hooks into the orchestration so that uh, if you have a business case let's say that you have uh, you need to do install an an antivirus agent like we wouldn't in Estaf have the ability to deploy all of them because there's so many Mm -hmm. but what we're actually providing are hooks into the orchestration where we can essentially have pre or post tasks So we could do, the customer could have some specific steps that they want to do after like the database is installed. They could run their own, we we could have our orchestration actually run their Ansible playbook, which would configure Azure backup for them, as an example. So with that extensibility, we are like, we would like to minimize the, the number of times where the customers have to clone it and make changes in our code. We would like to have those Those entry and exit points that we can extend so that we become a kind of plug and play type of orchestration flow.
4: It's truly kind of like providing a framework that is modular enough that it can be extended without touching the foundational building blocks.
3: Yeah, so coming back to the UX, so we have the demo. So one thing that we realized, so can I take over the screen and and start doing some demos? Sure, Kim. One of the things that we realized as the the next step was that, so if we when we look at the way that we actually do our configurations, so since it's Terraform, it's actually driven by what we call uh, parameter files. So essentially, like if I look at the SID, let's say look at this SID R92, so it has a parameter file that describes the parameters that we use. Use for the system. So what we've done is we've made these quite verbose. So we actually have inline documentation for the parameter files so that you actually know what each parameter does. So it mm-hmm. makes it easier for people to understand how to configure it. However, what we also realized that creating these parameter files manually is a potential, mm-hmm. like there's, there, there's a risk that you just do typos etc because it's a manual activity so in order to address that we've actually created a uh, application service that can run in the customer subscription which is essentially a configuration front end on top of the sap artifact so this application with this you can configure the workload zones that hemant mentioned so if i look at for instance a a workload zone. At minimum, what it, what you require when you deploy a workload zone, you need to tell which environment it belongs to, because this environment is then used by the automation to pick up the correct deployment credential. So we do recommend that you use different deployment credentials for your different systems, because that way we can minimize the blast radius. So if your if dev uh, SPN would be hacked, it would have no access yeah. to QA production, etc. So, you specify the name of the environment, the location, and uh, you give a logical name to the VNet, we use this logical name in the naming of the resource, and then you would provide your your address spaces. So, this is kind of the minimum to deploy workloads on. So, uh, uh, Net for logical name and the address spaces, and then we also would specify like what is the, uh, shared storage solution that you have. So, we support natively uh, AFS and ANF. So, uh, we actually support uh, ANF with the AVGs. So, uh, to the document that you mentioned that Dennis wrote, we actually can deploy that using using SDF. And then, so this would be kind of the minimum set of parameters. However, if you want to have more control, you just toggle oh, nice. the advanced switch, and then you get additional parameters that you can start to fill in. So, do you want to use private endpoints? So, by default, we deploy uh, the system secure. So, all storage accounts, all key vaults are protected by private endpoints, which means that there's no access to those uh, entry points outside of the vNet or outside of the paired vNets so you get a higher level of control. If you want to go all in, you click the expert tab, and then you can actually choose to say, then you then you get the full configurability. And one of the nice things here is that we are integrating with the customer's environment. So we support both greenfield and brownfield deployments. So if I want to configure a workload zone that uses an already deployed network, I could just go in in, in the editor and say, actually, I want to deploy into one. So this would be the networks which are part of that uh, subscription. So I could just say, okay, I deploy into the dev VNet, and then I I don't I can just pick up the ARM IDs for the resources. So then I don't need to worry about the subnet address prefix, et cetera. So this gives it makes it much, much easier to perform the configuration. And then once you've done with it and save it, we actually, we save this object in, uh, in a table storage in one of the uh, storage accounts in the control plane. But then when you do the deployment, what we actually do is we persist this configuration as a Terraform variable file in Azure DevOps, and then we trigger automatically a, a pipeline. So it becomes really easy. And then you, this this is this in a way acts as a CMDB for all of the SAP workload zones that you have. And the same thing goes then for like the systems. So we have the ability, let's say that we, if we want to configure a, a new SID, so let's take like, let's take this guy as a, we, we can take an existing configuration, so let's take the XO4. So, the way that we name our artifacts, so as I mentioned, we have the environment, we have the region, and then we have the logical binet. So, we get unique naming for resources, and that's important because these names will actually be then the names of the Terraform state files, which need to be unique in a staff. So, uh, coming to capabilities, so let me just toggle on the, all of these so that we can see all of the capabilities. So, with, we we target a particular workload zone. We uh, we support doing uh, deployments with either a single IP per NIC or dual IPs. With dual IPs, we can actually then define the uh, SAP Virtual Hostnet support. So, we actually have Two IPs per NIC, so we can then install SAP on the secondary IP, which gives us the ability to to manage the systems with things like LAMA. We also have the ability to just say that if I have this checkbox, it'll deploy using VMSS Flex. Same thing for data premium v2 so we can we we have full support of those. We have done some additional capabilities uh, that actually are more intended to instruct Ansible what to do. So for instance this checkbox here if we if we check this then we will create a, a parameter for Ansible that will automatically once it's installed all the operating system packages it'll then automatically update them to the latest versions again driving operational excellency so for fencing we can say that hey uh, do I want to use MSIs or do I want to use SPNs everything is configurable we added the support for simple mount in the last release so with this we can actually on SUSE environments simplify the pacemaker configuration even more so as you see it the list is quite verbose so we have the full ability to actually configure quite a lot so let me just untoggle these so that we have a little less uh, clutter on the on the screen estate so then what do we support like Hemant mentioned we support HANAP, and then we support on DB with netweaver we support the other kind of these these are the databases that we support from a distro point of view so we have a a default list of what we support however this list is configurable by the customer so if we have a customer who's a red hat shop they can just provide their own uh, override for this field and then they would be able to list their uh, the images that they support and we do support custom images as well so the customer could just provide the resource id for an azure custom image and we would deploy using that so nality we can deploy cross zones just by having the zones like this or we can deploy into single zone etc and then so in this case let's do now z let's do so 6 and then just click save then what happens is that we actually now have a new object here this is not yet deployed if i click um, if i click deploy the system will just Prompt me, but this is the, the system that will be deployed. If everything looks okay, then I just say yes, deploy. And what will happen is that this will take this configuration and in in Azure and then copy that file into Azure DevOps and trigger a pipeline from there. So if I go to Azure DevOps, so this is how the kind of from a DevOps point of view, we have the pipelines and we have the configuration files. So if I would go into DevOps, go into repositories, we have a, a hierarchy for like the different artifacts for the deployer, for the workload zone, for the library and the system. If I go to the system folder and just click on which was last changed, so we can see that this folder was just added recently. And if I go into that folder, I see a Terraform variables file that describes the thing that we just configured. And then if I would go into pipelines, what I would see is that we just triggered off a, a deployment for that XO6 XO six, six said and in DevOps I could go in and check if I wanted to be. The, the benefit of DevOps is twofold for us. It gives us the execution engine. It also gives um, like ability we get all of the logs automatically stored and then uh, we get version control for our configuration files as well. So that is kind of how the infrastructure gets deployed. So whilst this is running, I mentioned that we do support, uh, so uh, we have full support for DNS. So if I go and look at a, and already and what that DNS support actually gives us is it's, I don't like the Teams bar, it hides the thing. So what we have is the ability to either deploy a DNS infrastructure as part of the control plane, or we can use an existing one. So this is our DNS that we're using for the the test environments. So here we have a private DNS zone for the VMs. We also have private DNS zones for all of the pertinent resources. So for all the file shares, all the storage accounts, all the key vaults. So if I look at, for instance, the private DNS zone for key vaults, so these are all of the SDAF-based, so for the different workload zones, so just for the the test one, for the QA one, et cetera. And the, the fact that they are registered in private DNS allows us to actually protect them better. So because if I then look at a, so this is a system that I already deployed. So if I look at the resources, for instance, you can see that we have private endpoints. So if I go and check the deployed private endpoint, you will be able to see that that private endpoint is registered to DNS. So that means that in order to access the SAP mount, I cannot access it from outside of the VNet. I I have to come at it via the private endpoint. So that means that like we're we're as secure as we can by default when we do the deployments.
1: That's
0: really, really cool. Um, when I I mean, this has now really grown to a very to an expert tool, I would say. <laughs> um, so, is is now Azure DevOps a hard requirement for this, for example? Because I I still remember when I just um, opened my Azure CLI and then I I just executed uh, or I, I I just ran Terraform and then um, it
3: worked or. Um, it, it's not a hard requirement, so you can you can still do if you want. deploy it kind of the old school way is we have essentially two parts so like and in the documentation we have tutorials for both Mm -hmm. so you can use DevOps to do it which actually gives you the web app another but if you want to use a a kind of more traditional approach you can still uh, deploy the the environments using our, our shell script so we have a tutorial and we can provide the links to all these where yeah, you actually yeah. if you follow through this you can actually get everything deployed automatically for you and then you can configure it and what we do one of the challenges with that we're trying to overcome with uh azure devops is that if you're doing your deployments from a just a virtual machine in azure what mm-hmm. happens And if you have all of your configuration files on that VM, what happens if that VM goes down? Mm -hmm. Then you would lose your configuration files. So one of the things that we added in the release that we are releasing this week is the ability that for for those scenarios actually take those TFVARs file and copy them into a, a storage account so that we actually keep a copy of them available as well. So we're... Like a lot of the things that we've done in the latest releases have been focusing on operational excellence making yeah. sure that we're building in uh, operational capabilities like DR, et cetera, in, into the framework so that it, it's more resilient. Really nice. Well,
0: yeah,
1: Kim, maybe to both of you, I mean, this is a lot of work and this is a lot of things that you can do, installations end-to-end are complex stuff. And of course, it does help however because there is a lot of stuff and this is an open source as well people are contributing uh, how you are handling support (laughs) How that support works in a open source world here you know i mean i I imagine when everything is pink and green and works all is good (laughs) but
3: (laughs) so uh, the way that we so actually we're The thing that gets the code that you find in uh, the public repo is actually being validated and tested by a joint venture that we have with the ACSS team. So uh, we do a lot of the development work in an internal repo, which we actually, before we release it to the to the public repo we have a bunch of quality gates that we go through so for instance any changes into the ansible will be validated by the acss team they will run tests in the canary environment to deploy like hana using the all of the supported configurations that they have we will do before we do a releases we will make sure that we validate that we can do the uh the full installation so like the the netweaver nedb uh, configurations that we have. So, with that, we're we're fairly confident that when we release things that there shouldn't be any mm-hmm. major issues. Of course, because we have so many permutations now with ANF, with AFS, with uh, Premium Storage V2, mm-hmm. with yes. VMS Flex, of course, things could happen. So, we do have then a uh, GitHub issues is the preferred way for customers to raise issues, and then we will try to address them as quickly as we can.
4: Nice.
3: So uh, I think we, since we still have like fifty minutes, Hemant, do you want to talk through the the actual SAP and the uh, installation part and the configuration as code part?
4: Sure. (laughs) Uh, Let me share my screen again. So, you should be, uh, you can see my screen. Um, yes. So, this is a different deployment than the one Kimo kicked off. I had um, run through a pipeline. Um, so, I did my configuration manually. Um, so, it, just to show that it, you don't have to rely on the web app, um, you can uh, take the TFRs. Uh, uh, the examples that we have on the GitHub repo in the samples repo, and you can tweak it to match your requirements. Right? In, in my scenario, I'm actually deploying a Rel 86, um, uh, sorry, an 84 um, HA deployment uh, where I have some. Uh, some parts of it, right? Like this is still the old way of doing things. Uh, the newer way is what Kimo uh, demoed, the preferred way of uh, you know, creating it, because if you need to create these you know, the configuration files and mass, that would be the way to go, because you would take a configuration, make it a template, and use that template to create more and more uh, you know, configurations that you need. Um, as long as like let's say you have like you want to deploy 50 or 60 rel based machines you can create one template for that and use that template to create the configuration files for the sids that you need the major thing that you would change in there is probably the instance numbers here and the sid name and that's about it you save it like Kim showed like x06 um, you can have multiple different sids just you know, being created and when you hit deploy, that configuration comes and gets stored in DevOps um, and also to the storage account, um, right? So this this um, this config file uh, was what I ran. And what happens when you actually run through this or run the pipeline for doing the... Um uh, yeah, that's okay. Uh, when you actually go through uh, deployment, um, what happens is it actually goes through, the Terraform actually creates the various components that are needed. Um, as you can see, this deployment was done about an hour and a half ago, uh, roughly. Uh, before we started, as I just kicked it off, it takes about 10 minutes to deploy. Um, about eight minutes it shows here, but we have a bunch of things <laughs> that that get checked before we actually do the deployment. Now. If you look at how the deployment looks, it has the proximity placement groups just for the application tier, the databases don't get deployed into it because we are in a region where you don't have to put the databases in a proximity placement group. Um, So We have this, this is an ANF-based deployment, so you have the ANF volumes that get created. Uh, It's a custom configuration where I have specified different max throughputs than what is recommended by SAP. Uh, However, uh, since it's being tested it actually gets deployed in the workload zone like i said like you can actually segregate your workloads based on um, you know which environment they get to. for me this is my dev environment so i have these created in the dev workload zone some of these are shared volumes so they get deployed here uh, it's a highly available deployment hence you see like hana data 1 hana data 2 one for the primary node and the other for the secondary node and like Kimu um, was mentioning you do get the um, the private uh, DNS zone records created here. Um, and also, if you just go to the sap.contoso.net, this actually serves as when I run my configurations, it actually creates records for the load balancers as well. Uh, so, there, the pipelines, we have different pipelines, right? Uh, you have one for deploying your control plane, then you have one for your workload zone deployment, then you have something for the software acquisition, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And then you have the SID infrastructure deployment. Uh, you can even remove deployments that you have done um, once you're done with the. Uh, you know if you're doing a dev or a test landscape you need to refresh or if you need to recreate the environment you can remove them from here as well and then the final one is the configuration and the sap installation uh, pipeline um, i have done this as on tuesday uh, it takes about 3 hours to fully configure patch uh, sorry uh, with the os configuration so we have it in different stages when you have the base os configuration we are configuring the repos patching the system to uh to apply the latest security fixes, et cetera. Then you have the SAP specific operating system configuration where you're adding the user accounts uh, doing the mounts exports and stuff like that and then you go for the central services the database installations high availability configurations the primary application server installation the additional application server installations and if you so choose like web dispatcher installations as well and finally you have a step where it actually allows you to register your system to the ACSS uh, as well so I because I'm using the same SID and trying to deploy the same bomb, all I all I need to do is come here, click run new. It has all these options populated for me. I can say register your system with ACSS. It's a non-prod S4HANA system, and just click run, and it actually starts off configuring my deployment. And this is gonna run for like you know uh, two and a half to three hours, depending mm-hmm. on how your infrastructure and the configurations that you have chosen, so it keeps running in the background. Obviously, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the screen. (laughs) Yeah,
3: the the next three hours, we can watch cat videos (laughs) (laughs) until (laughs) it finishes.
4: Yeah. Um, Just being conscious of time, what we can do is actually Quickly take a look at the resources that are available uh, from an STF uh, perspective. The technical documentation is available on the Microsoft documentation site uh, for STF. Uh, you, the short URL would be staff. Uh, and the GitHub repository uh, is available under GitHub Azure SAP-automation. It's the, this is the main repo where we work. Uh, or make releases uh, on this repo. So if you go to the SAP automation slash releases, you have all our latest release information available there. Um, The one thing that we have talked about um, a little bit, but we haven't actually touched upon uh, in the conversation was the bomb, right? A bill of materials is essentially, how does a staff actually configure the SAP uh, application on your machines? So what we do is we rely on something called as a bom. It's essentially, um, however, it? it's an application manifest, right? That that is used to um, configure um, uh, configure the application. So it it actually it's a structured organization of all the materials that are required to run. An SAP installation on your machine. Now, while the process is automate, you have a pipeline that allow that helps you to download these components for you. You would need to provide your own, you know, username and password, uh, and you should have the authorization to download the relevant components from SAP. That's the important piece. But for you to create the bomb, it's kind of like you go to the maintenance planner, right, and create a new system, and then. You know, see see that hey, these are the components that I need to deploy. If I need to configure a Netweaver or an S/4HANA system, and you essentially roll it into a YAML file. So you need to locate and download the relevant SAP installation media, and this is mm-hmm. crucial as it gathers all these necessary files required for the SAP installation, and allows the framework to actually do the installation on your behalf. Right, um, you could roll your own bomb, which some of our customers have done for components that you know we don't have the samples available with us. Uh, they, what they do is um, one thing that they need to do when they actually are creating a custom uh, bill of materials is they need to create the ini files that are required by SAP INS to actually run the installation for you. So the, there are two essential steps, like. One, the acquisition of the media that is needed for you to install the SAP system. The second is the any files that are required for the configuration. And we do try to you know, make it simple by allowing the customer uh, to actually uh, download these. Right. And the the download software phase essentially reads the samples that we have and downloads them. Uh, If you need to extend that, like I said, the framework is modular enough that it can be extended um, to uh, install other SAP applications as well. So it allows you to actually download these, but you have to use your own S-user password and you need to have authorization on the portal to download this.
3: And one of the benefits with this approach is that we get repeatability, so we can actually ensure that, like if we do the dev installation with this version of of SWPM, we do the QA installation with the exact same version, etc. So that gives, gives us the repeatability, which is really important for testing point of view. Yeah. Because as I
0: said, I mean, I only download the software once or, I mean, Correct. once um, for yes. for an, an whole environment, basically. Yep. So, so this is not necessary yeah, for it, each it, and it every installation. And
3: that's why, yeah, and it gets persisted in the control yep. plane okay. and that's where we get the, the repeatability. So, it's the, the, I would say that the most complex thing at this time, for extending this is actually the custom build material creation because Mm -hmm. like there's no easy way to to decipher some of those components like the uh, application uh, identifiers so like what's the product id etc so those things you have to kind of uh, do a bit of investigation so one way is to just run the installation once with uh, with, and, and finishing it before it actually installs and then you would take the any file at params, and you will get the identifier from there, where so it's the the most kind of cumbersome thing, but it's, it's a learning curve that you only have to go through once. So once you know to make one bomb, you can make any bomb. So it the process is the same.
0: And you have a lot of examples there on GitHub as well. Correct. Yes. Very Mm -hmm. nice. So maybe one last question. So for 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 a simple um, system, how long does it take uh, from the very start to the very end until I can open up the SAP GUI and connect
3: to the system? One and a half hours. If wow. we if we have cool. if we have the software downloaded, yes. yeah. Then yeah, then like ten minutes for the infrastructure, and then like one and a half hour if it's if it's non HA. If of we course, add of course of course yeah, yeah. yeah. So then I would say like one and a half hours.
0: Really nice.
4: We try to stay within reasonable timelines. Yes, <laughs> for uh, standard installations. I mean,
1: uh, one and a half or three hours is still great. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah the, the,
3: the main challenge is, is like SAP is not really a very automation friendly product <laughs> in that sense that like the you have to wait if you have to, Canara, um, when you're setting up your high availability, like how to validate that all of the services are up and running, et cetera. Like there's no good APIs. You have to, like you can't use the traditional base. You actually have to understand a bit of the underlying foundation, how SAP works. And that's why I'm so happy to work with you guys who know that. Cool, <laughs> so. oh, perfect. Yeah.
0: Well, um, Kimo, Hemant, thank you so much for this this great overview. Um, this this update. I think there there's some really cool new functionalities. I I very much like this um, configuration editor. I think that makes it really much easier than scrolling through all these Terraform files. So I I think that that's really fantastic. So thank you very much. I hope a lot of our um, listeners viewers um, take a look at this and and test it and provide feedback. And then maybe in another few months we can have another update from you with with. Additional oh, new cool functionality. Yes,
4: <laughs> definitely. Yes.
0: Perfect. But, Thank you so much. Talk like to so. you soon. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Bye.